Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. When I was in college, I learned a lot of lessons. I want to focus on just two of those lessons today, otherwise it would take a couple years to go through them all. One of the first lessons I learned is that I cannot focus on all the good work that needs to be done. There's too much. Every week and sometimes every day, there would be a new challenge in society for me to become aware of. I became aware of every variety of cancer, human trafficking, homelessness, climate change, recycling, reconciliation, and just sometimes racial reconciliation, and sometimes just what room of class was moved to. These are only a few of examples of the things that I could be involved in every day of the week. It became evident to me quite quickly that I could not live my life being aware of or trying to work in every area equally. I cannot do everything on my own. I could not respond to the call to care about and do for everything. I needed to focus on the tasks that God was putting in front of me to do. So that's lesson one. Lesson two, as I learned from physiology, which is just a class about how the parts of the body work together. I learned about the role of the skeletal, circulatory, nervous, digestive, and other systems that you have running in your body. Each system and part has a role to play. No one piece does everything in your body. Each, oh yeah. The circulatory system doesn't one day turn into your brain and your brain doesn't up and decide it's going to be a leg tomorrow. If one part of the body is injured or sick, it harms the whole body. If you have a heart attack, the rest of your body does not go on as normal. If you are hungry, it messes with your whole emotion system. And I was amazed by how connected and dependent the systems are on each other. This class brought to mind the passage that we're going to talk about today. What if the parts of the church were connected like the parts of the body? I found it fascinating to think about how closely knit the body is and how everything depends on everything else. What if the church operated that way? So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 today. I'm going to read through the whole thing. Now, since this is a longer reading, we're going to have a little bit of interactiveness. I want to know you're listening. So when I say the word body, I want you to raise your hand. And when I say by the same spirit, I want you to say amen. Amen. So let's practice that. By the same spirit, body. There we go. You have had your tutorial and training for the sermon now. Now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. 
to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not at hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think of as less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but to not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know a part, no, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a, min as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known.
And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So the reason I had you raising your hands and saying amen, if we were at my house on Monday night for discipleship group, I'd pass out papers of the passages to everyone. We could take five or so minutes and read through them, and we'd mark down what are the most common words that are in there. Now, usually for a sermon, they don't want you to stand up here for five minutes quietly while people mark on their papers, so I thought we'd make it a little more interactive. You notice that by the same spirit came up a lot and body came up a lot. We've done our calisthenics for the day. <laughs> so now we're going to go back through these passages and look at why is by the same spirit important and why is this whole body idea important? And you're probably making some guesses since you've heard. I, I, by reading the passage, I reveal all the good stuff ahead of time. So we're going to go through the beginning and then we'll keep going in order. Now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. The key here is the gifts, the abilities that the Spirit gives us all come from one place, the Holy Spirit. They don't come from the idols that they followed before. They don't come from angels. They don't come from demons. They don't come from other people. It is by the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. And that's an example of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are three in one. So we have these gifts. Why do we have these gifts? Paul goes on. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Again, we're getting this idea that it is by one Spirit, no matter what your gift, from one Spirit. To another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongue, tongues, and still to another to the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one in the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Why are the gifts given? They are given for the common good of the church, for building up of the church, for the growth of the church. How are these gifts given? No matter what the gift, it's by the same spirit. So Mike is given the, his gifts by the same spirit as Loretta's got her gifts. These lists, these gifts are not meant to be an exhaustive list of every gift that could be given to someone. These are examples Paul is using in the case of his letter to the Corinthian church. So we have, why are the gifts given? Who gives the gifts? How do we get the gifts? The gifts are given to each one just as he determines. That means none of us who are in Jesus are left out of getting a gift. That means each one has a gift. This connects to the first story I told. If you remember all the way back at the beginning when I was talking about college, I was overwhelmed by the number of activities I could become aware about and be active in. I've also found that to be true in church. There are more things here I would love to be able to do than I can do. However, being one human being, I cannot do everything. You cannot do everything. I need to have focus to be effective. The same is true for us here in the church. We cannot be a one-man-or-woman army 
prophesying, administrating, giving, healing, speaking in tongues, getting messages of wisdom and knowledge, giving gifts, etc. We need to have focus in the ways that God has gifted us. This requires us to trust that God has gifted others to do the tasks that we are not focused on. To talk about this, Paul uses the example of a body. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ, that is, with us in the church. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we are all part of one body in Christ, by one spirit, regardless of our previous circumstances. It does not matter how much honor you had in life or dishonor you had in life before coming to know Jesus. You are part of the body. You are equally part of the body. Uh, in the case that he's writing here, the difference between Jews or Gentiles, uh, there was the case early in the church's life that those who had the Jewish background thought they might be some higher level of Christian or better Christian having had that Jewish background as opposed to having the Gentile background because they had the law, that had these ideas from beforehand. But Paul is saying that is not so. You are all part of one body in Christ. And that was also slave or free. It doesn't matter what your background is. In the body in Christ, we come together. We are to be as interconnected as the parts of the body are. So Paul goes on. If the foot should say, Behold, I am not a hand. I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, again, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So we have one spirit, one body. We cannot think there is only one type of gift. We cannot say, just because I don't say, let's say, speak in tongues, that I am not a part of the body. And that is an example sometimes people have, the idea that if you don't speak in tongues, you must not have been filled with the Spirit. Are you really in Jesus? And uh, that is just not the case. We have to have our own gifts. We do not all have to have the same gift. Because we cannot all be gifted in the same way. Just like our body cannot all be one thing, because where would it be if it was? I would not speak very well if I was just a giant foot on stage. All parts of the body are essential. Save your appendix, which probably still does something we just don't know about. Our bodies are, <laughs> have essential parts. If you've had part of your body taken out, you don't work quite right <laughs> the same anymore. If you get an injury, you know your body has essential parts. And we are all part of the body regardless of what we think about it. If we think, I don't have the gift of prophecy, so am I really part of the body? You are. If It doesn't matter what you think. You're part of the body. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think about your gift. There is what is true, and that is that you're part of the body. Now, again, this is the second time we've heard that God placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So he has a plan with your gift. He has a reason for giving the gift to you. And heads up, it's not so that you can be popular, so that you can look great in front of everyone. That is not why the gifts are given. They're given for the common good. 
Do not accept that you are less of a Christian because God did not gift you the same as someone else. Let's say you're gifted in administration and the taking care of details, and that is a spiritual gift you have. You are no less in the church than someone who's gifted in prophecy. Now, the prophecy might look more exciting. They might be up front having said something, but their part is no more or less important than your part. They're actually going to get onto that part that a little bit. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. For example, like someone who was previously a slave in the church, they might have been given more honor in coming to the body, so that there would be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. We're not to have concern over someone just because they're rich. That was another example in some of the other Paul's letters. People were more concerned about the wealthy people than the poor people in their church, and that was wrong. We're to have equal concern for each other. We don't have more concern for the person with the gift of prophecy than the person with the gift of administration, to go back to that example. We have equal concern for them because they are part of the body, and we need them to function. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. If someone is pointed out for having a gift and they're given honor in front of the church, we rejoice with them for that. We don't think, gee, I wish I had been pointed out. I wish they would see what I do. We rejoice with those who are being honored. We can't decide we don't need someone or their gift. We don't say, well, I don't like that gift. That makes me uncomfortable, so we're going to go without it. It's probably good that it makes you uncomfortable. We, we, we change out of our discomfort. We don't change when we're sitting comfortably in our chair. God gives honors to those who were previously thought to have less honor. Those with exciting and obvious roles and gifts don't need to be honored nearly as much as those who work where others don't see, who do the endless work of encouraging all of us that keep us all going. And we have those in our church who just are tirelessly helping us do our work. God will bring them honor. And if you get the opportunity to shout them out somewhere, please do. There's to be no division in the church, but equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer. If someone's going through a difficult time, we go through that difficult time with them because we are a body. And if one part is honored, we rejoice. Carrying on to verses 27 through 31. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, this might cause some question. We, I've just spent the last five or ten minutes talking about how we're brought together as one body and all our gifts are important. And now we're saying, it sounds like we're saying some people are more important in the church than others based on their gifts. These gifts are ranked because of their ability to build up the church. Now, I'd like to say that it's the gifts that are ranked here, not the bearers of the gifts. As we sang in our song, we are vessels. We are 
like a conduit for God to work in the world. We open ourselves up for what he would do, not for our glory, but for his. And so these gifts are the ones that are building up the church more. The more it builds up the church, the more the church needs it. And it's also important to remember that these letters were written to a group of people, not just to an individual. It's easy to think when we're reading the Bible, this was written for me. And in a sense, it is written for you. But we need to remember the context. So the call to desire the greater gifts is not to say that all of us should try to be prophets, rather that we as a church should desire these greater gifts so that as a church we can be built up and equipped so that we are prepared to do the work as a church, as a body, that God is calling us to. Obviously, the goal is not all for us to have the same gift, but to desire that those greater gifts are available to us, that we can be equipped. In my second story, I shared about my fascination with physiology. My fascination with how the body works caused me to ponder what it would look like if the church functioned like a body. This is sometimes a hard one for Westerners to understand as we largely view ourselves as self-sufficient. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to admit that we can't do everything ourselves. We want to cook our food, repair our car, fix our house, do it all ourselves. And if we can't do that, we feel something must have been wrong with us. On the whole, we are not great at trusting other people to do their job. Does anyone remember group assignments in school? Who here actually enjoyed group assignments because you could trust everyone to do their job? Okay, so that's something we have to think about. <laughs> if we're going to work on our gift, if we're going to have what, the focus I talked about, we have to trust that God is going to take care of the ones of the other gifts, of the other jobs that need to be done, because we cannot all do all that. We we each cannot do every job that needs to be done. We have to do the ones that God has put before us. As you know, or as many of you know, Rebecca and I are being sent to West Africa as international workers. I mean, the kids are coming with us too. Part of this process involves raising prayer and financial support. Just as we began this process, I started to feel overwhelmed by all that we needed to do uh, between the, the fundraising, the prayer support raising, getting passports, getting visas, getting everything done before it's time for us to go. Overwhelming. At the prompting of Jim, I formed a prayer team of people with different gifts with the goal of covering our departure process in prayer. We have been encouraged by those gifted with encouragement, and we have received prophetic messages. People have been able to use their gifts to benefit us and to help us get through the, this uh, last few months of getting ready to go. And then I wondered to myself, probably two days after getting this set up, why didn't I do this years ago? Why did I not invite people in? Now, to some degree, I've done this. I've shared with our discipleship group difficulties in my life, and we've been able to go through that together. But this was kind of another level for me of, of opening myself up to receive from the gifts that God has given others. I could have had people speaking into my role as an elder, discipleship group leader, parent and husband for years, and I hadn't taken that opportunity. I had not made use of the resources that God was placing in the church. So if we as a church want to make disciples that sustain revival, if we want to lean into the call to evangelism received during our corporate fast, we need to do those things as a body. If we want to have strength and unity, we have that as a body, as our focus this year. We need to use each of the gifts that God has given us 
for the common good of the body. So before we go on to 1 Corinthians 13, here is what I recommend to you. First, write down the roles that God has placed you in, and then if you know your gifting that he's given you, write that down as well. You can either do it now or later. This is uh, something to walk, you can walk through after this. We each have jobs that God has given us to do. We each have jobs that we just have to do, like taking care of our families, like uh, doing your work. Those are areas that you could invite people in to speak into your life. So point two, who can you invite to pray with you that you can work in those roles filled with the Spirit? So you can do your job filled with the Spirit. Be a husband, a wife, a parent, a child filled with the Spirit in those roles. Who can encourage you? Who could speak prophetically to you? Who can help you with the administrative tasks of your life? Whatever gifts there are, how can they help you? But the goal of this step is not just so that the body and receiving from the body ends with you. It's because it's, again, not about us. It's that we are being encouraged, prophesied to, hearing in tongues from other parts of the body so that we can also use our gifts for the body. So pray about and then listen and obey. Who would God have you working with? How would God have you working in the body? I don't recommend that you just go make a list right now of all the people you have safe things to say to and say them. <laughs> I recommend that you listen for what God would have because these are not human gifts we are using. This is not the gift of Daniel to go say something. This is a gift of the Spirit to go say something. And so I need to be listening to the Spirit and knowing who to say things to and what to say and what to do. Those who are evangelizing, this is just an example of how we can do this together. Those who are evangelizing all the time need help and encouragement. They need words of knowledge. Those gifted with the prophetic can send on messages to those doing the evangelizing that they can know how to do it. Like uh, knowing that you're going, to go to, you're going to meet someone on the road today that looks this way and you should pray with them. And then that person can go on their day and they meet the person on the road and they think, ah, I know because we have heard from God together that I need to talk to this person. And so that's a small example of the body working together. I imagine if we practice this as a church, we would find much grander things, but I recommend we probably start with little steps. Every job needs focus. To get that focus, there needs to be support. If we're going to do job A, someone's got to be doing job B to support us. We are here to support each other so that we can focus on saying what God has for us to say and doing what God has for us to do. So before we all go trying to support each other and use our gifts for the common good, we should probably have some guidelines. And thankfully, Paul thought so too. 1 Corinthians 13. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So, can we use our gifts wrong? It seems we can. We can do them without love. We have been given our gifts, but it is not a guarantee that we can do them right. 
And so we need to be thinking about this. We have been given authority to speak, but we need to do that in love. Chapter 14, if we had more time, we could go on and find out about how they were using their gifts chaotically in the service, about how they were using their gifts to make themselves look good in front of everyone. These are things, ways you could use your gift incorrectly if you're using it for your own gain. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the one using what God gave me for my own gain and then having to talk to him about that. I would not want to be <laughs> in that role. <laughs> so I have dealt with varying levels of anxiety for a good bit of life, with my core fear being that I will disappoint and or hurt people. I've been a Christian for a very long time, but when I was in high school, God put a special call on my life to call people who say they follow Jesus to let Jesus invade all areas of their lives. I, I, and this is always a process of growth for us, that we are constantly reaffirming and deepening our call, the call that Jesus has on our lives. We're going deeper with him. We give over more areas of our heart. And my call is to help people do that. I'm sure the Monday night group is tired of me doing that sometimes. As soon as that commitment was made, as I responded to what God was doing inside my, my heart, some of the anxiety was lifted, and I was given the grace to do the work God had given me. Jim, at the end of the service last week, talked about grace not just being the forgiveness for our sins, but being the empowerment to do the good work God gives us, and I experienced that. With that work that he was giving me to do came the ability to understand what people were feeling, have a sense of some of their life backgrounds, their struggles, and an idea of what they could look like moving forward if they wanted to follow Jesus, kind of vision to pull them towards. I was also given a glimpse of just how much God loves them. Not the whole thing, just a little bit, because I can't take the whole thing of how much God loves us. And as an aside, when I feel frustrated with someone, I only have to remember this moment to refocus my priorities on how much God loves people. This love drove me past some of my anxieties to learn how to use my gifts to call people to focus on Jesus. It gave me power over the anxiety. However, as many of us, I had not surrendered every last little bit in my life. It was a process of growth. The anxiety remained to some degree, and eventually I got to the point where I was ignoring opportunities to use my gifting out of fear. I was afraid of what might happen to friendships if I called people to follow Jesus more deeply. And sadly, I missed some opportunities that God put in front of me. This drove me to seek more freedom from anxiety, which the Holy Spirit has largely granted me through an intense grieving and mourning process. It's very fun. So there's still anxiety there, but the fire that, fire that burns in me now is stronger than the anxiety. Honestly, that I can be up here preaching and I'm not shaking in my boots or sandals is um, a testament to that. <laughs> When Rebecca and I started on this missionary journey, I'm like, all right, I'll do it as long as I don't have to speak in church. But it turns out I have to speak in church. And God gives me the grace to do that. So I tell you this story for a couple of reasons. It's not because it's really that exciting. I want to illustrate that I would not expect anyone to have a full understanding of how to use their gift immediately. I still do not have a full understanding of how to use my gifting. It has taken me years to get to where I am now, and I have years to go. Lord willing, and learning how to contribute to the common good of the body. And two, we can, the second reason I'm sharing this, we can work within our capacity while also seeking to expand our capacity. At the end of the time of, of music, I read from Romans 12, 
And the, the Romans 12 also speaks about spiritual gifts. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. So it gives this example of prophesying according to your faith. As your faith grows, you may be able to prophesy differently than you did before. As your faith grows, you might administrate differently before than before. As your faith grows, you might give differently than you gave before. We start with small steps that God gives us. We're not necessarily going to be doing giant leaps the first time you go out and try to learn how to use your gift. Uh, Jim gave an example last week of uh, taking a step of trusting God not to listen to sports radio. A few years ago, God gave me a, a similar step of stop playing a video game I was spending way too much time on in order that I would be able to grow in him. And that's one of the most important decisions I've made in my life, even though it's just this little decision I made. But because I made God, he built my trust for him. He did work in me because I made myself available to him. That moment of trust for a tiny thing led to great growth. So don't be afraid of the tiny steps in using gifts. It, it seems unexciting. It seems boring. But we take time to learn to pray, to learn to listen to God. We take time to learn how to read the Bible. We learn, take time to learn how to serve. If you want to serve back there at the table, you take time to learn how to do that. And it's just the same with our spiritual gifts. You take time to learn how to use that. And thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit in us to carry on. Now, about my anxieties, I would have served myself well by listening to the next part of the sermon. For better or worse, I can't go back in time and tell myself, but I will tell you. <laughs> if you feel anxious about your, using your gift, use these guidelines that we're about to go over. And one more note. The gifts themselves are not the important part. It is that they are used in love that is important. That is what powers our gifts. It's God's love coming through us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. All right. So, looking at Romans 12, if your gift is serving, then serve. Okay, so how do you serve? We're just going to run through a couple gifts here. We serve patiently. We serve kindly. We don't envy when we serve that someone else doesn't have to clean the floor, but we are. <laughs> We're not going to boast about our gifts or our service. We're not going to be proud in our service. We're not going to dishonor others by the way we serve. We're not going to keep records of wrongs of other times that people didn't serve. Let's pick another one. Your gift of encouragement. When you're encouraging them, don't dishonor them. Use your encouragement to help protect. Trust in your encouragement. Help people hope in their encouragement. Again, encourage patiently. There's probably a reason patiently is first. Love is patient. People aren't always going to respond well when we call them forward, and we have to be patient with people. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy patiently. If you're unsure of your motivation to do or speak a word of knowledge, to speak prophetically, to teach, serve, encourage, give, lead, show mercy, or any other gift, run through this list to see if you're doing it in a loving way. If you aren't doing it in a loving way, then don't press forward with what you're going to do because you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're not going to be reflecting God in that moment. Even if you have 
the right thing to say. If you're not saying it in love, that's not good. So that is a really, you, you can actually go through this list with yourself and say, am I being patient? Am I being kind in doing this? It might be uncomfortable for someone that you're going to say something. Maybe you have to confront them about sin. But can you, are you going to do that patiently and kindly without boasting? Are you going to do it without pride? All questions we could ask ourselves and answer. And again, we have all have the one spirit in us that can guide us through this. So if you're paralyzed by doing this wrong, this is the answer. This is a literal checklist to help us go through. We might still make mistakes, but we're not going to get better without practicing. And uh, we, learned, we all learned to walk, and it took time for our body to coordinate itself to walk. If you watch children feed themselves, it takes a couple months for them to figure out how to get food from the plate to their mouth. Sometimes they miss. <laughs> With six kids, I've seen many people, <laughs> many children do that. And so this, uh, this makes sense to me, at least. Our gifts will not last for all time, but love will last for all time. Verses 8 through 13, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So the reflection as in a mirror, back in the day they didn't have nice shiny glass mirrors like they had. They had a piece of metal that they would polish up to try to see. So it was a dim reflection. It's like if your uh, kids spit all the toothpaste on the mirror and you try to clean it up. A dim reflection. <laughs> That's my modern example. Like we learned last week about the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness. There will not be a need for healing, for tongues or words of knowledge, because we will be living in the perfect. We will be living with Jesus and God. What we see now is only a reflection, and then we won't need the mirror as we will see face to face. These gifts are only a small example of how amazing God is, of how much he loves his people. And so when the perfect comes, that is when Jesus returns, we will no longer need these gifts. It does not mean our gifts are ending now, but when Jesus comes back, just like uh, Rebecca's need for doctoring will be gone when Jesus returns. So she'll get to do other things, and that will be wonderful. <laughs> We, uh, let's see here. Can we get the last slide up there, John Eric? Verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We talked about faith and hope in the last few weeks, hope of the coming, having faith until he returns. But the greatest of these is love. When we're with Jesus, we won't need to hope. We won't need to have faith because we will see and know fully. But we will still have love. Conclusion. God has given us each gifts that we are to use for the common good and building up of the body. No one's left out from that. We are to support and be supported by each other just as our body is. We are not to look down on one part or wish we were another part. 
we are not to think some gifts greater or lesser in terms of how we treat people. There are gifts that will benefit our body more, just like eating healthy is gonna benefit our body more than going to McDonald's. Oh, yeah. When working in our gifting, it must always be motivated by love. If you want to use your gift for recognition, like speak in tongues so that people recognize you for speaking in tongues and think something good about you, or if you want to evangelize so you feel good about yourself, we're not doing it. That's not right. If you feel that we need to do more evangelizing and so you just go out and do it yourself without the body, you're leaving behind essential tools. You're like an eye trying to do it all. So what is our response? As I said before, this passage is written to a congregation, and so I would like for us to respond in prayer as a congregation. And there's three things I want to do. First, I want to praise God for how amazing it is that he has given us gifts. It is beyond my comprehension why he trusts us with them sometimes, but it amazes me, and I am thankful, and I desire everyone to be knowing their gift and using their gift. This, something I'd like to ask for is that we would know and experience his love, that we would then know how to use our gifts in love. It's hard to know how to love when you haven't had that love from him. And just like I said, like seeing his love for my high school classmates, even if they didn't love him, his love for them motivated me. It pushed me forward. It pushed me beyond things I ever wanted to have to do. It pushed me to do public speaking when it terrified me because I wanted to show his love to them. I wanted to call them forward as he had told me to do. So, praising him for the gifts, that we would see his love, and that we would have strength and unity in our body. And we do this really through knowing and using our gifts. So, again, three things we're praying for here. We're going to pray out loud with each other. Praising God for the gifts, looking for his love, and that we would have strength in our body. Jesus, we want to have strength and unity as you have called us to. We want to make disciples that sustain revival as you have called us to. We want to follow your calling towards evangelism that you have spoken to us. And we need to do this as a body. We each need focus in what you would have us do. And so I ask that there would be revelation of what the gifts are. I ask that there would be understanding of your love so that we know how to use those gifts, that your love would motivate us, not even our own love, but yours, that we would be able to do the work you have for us patiently and kindly, that we not keep the records of wrongs, that we would each use our gifts, that the body can be full, because when we do not have a gift in operation, we are lacking, and we cannot do the full job you have for us. And so we come to you seeking that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.